This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. Alpha Demolash was born in Ethiopia and came to the United States when she was 12. While at Harvard, her interest was in conflict resolution, spending time in Rwanda and at The Hague for the International Tribunal for Yugoslavia. When she graduated, she co-founded Rising Tide Capital with her Harvard classmate, Alex Forrester. And for more than a decade, they've worked to nurture would-be entrepreneurs in struggling communities in New Jersey. She joins me now for a closer look. Alpha, you graduated from Harvard, and instead of a high-powered job in politics or Wall Street, you started a sort of microfinance program for underserved communities. Let's start here. What accounted for your career choice? Uh, well, first, thank you so much, Arthur, for having me. It's uh, an honor to be on your show. Um, what accounted for my uh, decisions uh, early on to get involved in this field uh, was really originated from uh, my experience as an immigrant coming to this country uh, from Ethiopia. I was born and raised uh, there. Uh, my mom was a refugee. She came here when I was two years old. And she had a singular focus to reunite with me. And a way that she uh, did that was by uh, starting a little entrepreneurial business uh, that helped her supplement her income uh, she was working as a waitress at the time, and that little business grew and enabled her to save enough uh, to bring me here. And for a decade after that, uh, as I made my way through uh, high school and college, uh, my mom's entrepreneurial activities were right in front of me as an example of uh, how so many women uh, and men uh, who are using their creative entrepreneurial uh, talents to actually uh, create businesses that enable them to make a better way for their families. Uh, so I, I had taken it um, for granted that uh, this is something that happens uh, uh, in most households. Uh, but as I got older and as I got the opportunity, particularly in college, uh, to go to places like Rwanda, study post-conflict societies and how we try to uh, remedy uh, our challenges uh, on the ground, it became that much more apparent to me that activities like what my mom was engaged in uh, were really critical to helping uh, stabilize communities and creating financial security uh, that can actually enable us to aspire uh, for more peaceful societies. Tell us about your signature program, the Community Business Academy, and what's included in the 12-week course? Uh, sure. So our 12-week course, uh, called the Community Business Academy, uh, fully scholarships entrepreneurs who are in low-income areas across the U.S. now, uh, and we support them with business management education. And our average entrepreneur is 41 years old, a single mother uh, of two, trying to make ends meet while starting a business. Uh, 
And so a big part of what we try to do is make the course as accessible as possible. It's in person. It's experiential. It breaks down business management concepts uh, like cash flow, um, a market analysis, uh, all of the basic infrastructure that you need, the fundamentals you need to set up a business and grow it uh, over time uh, is what we cover in our Community Business Academy. But that's of the journey with us. It gives us a common vocabulary. It helps us with our entrepreneurs. They also get the opportunity to build uh, social networks with other like-minded entrepreneurs uh, in person. And then uh, the longer-term engagement begins after they complete the course. Rising Tide also helps uh, going businesses. Uh, tell us about the business acceleration services and the credit to capital programs. Who's a typical client? The typical client, uh, as you mentioned, so when people come to the Community Business Academy and they're accepted into it, uh, about 70% of them are in the very early stages of starting a business. About 30% actually have an ongoing business and they're trying to figure out how best to grow it or perhaps their industry has changed significantly and they're trying to pivot. And so once they complete the Community Business Academy, we work with them over the long term, individualized coaching services, personal financial management so they can uh, clean up their credit if they needed to, uh, or in some cases actually build their credit uh, history and report so they can access uh, capital in its different forms. Uh, so we believe uh, very much that it takes uh, anywhere, you know, I've not met a, an entrepreneur or a small business owner that hasn't been in business for at least 10 years before they can start saying uh, they're, you know, they're successful. And so uh, our approach with business acceleration services is to provide that personalized coaching and support both in uh, cohort-based models as well as um, individually over the long haul to help our entrepreneurs access capital and access to uh, market opportunities. Alpha, how do students pay a tuition that seems pretty steep for a low-income person? That's a great question. We actually... Um, scholarship, all of our entrepreneurs into our programs, uh, they pay a materials and registration fee that is meant to, uh, one, give them uh, skin in the game, uh, show uh, their commitment uh, to completing and participating as robustly as possible. But I am happy to say that um, a variety of different institutions in the private sector, uh, corporate foundations like the J.P. Morgan Chase Foundation, and many others have banded together to support our entrepreneurs fully. Uh, so this way, the burdens of um, the financial components of getting a business management education are not in their way as they're building their business over the long haul. How much do you raise from these uh, institutional funders each year? 
So we uh, currently raise $4 million a year in, uh, annually uh, through both private and public sector. About 20% of our funding comes uh, from city, state, and even federal sources like the SBA. Uh, but the vast majority is coming from uh, both corporate foundations as well as those entrepreneurs who have um, built successful businesses and are looking back at uh, giving back. Uh, we have uh, groups like uh, the Joy Mangano Foundation, uh, who's a women inventor, the Kate Spade Foundation, um, you know, others who are uh, from the uh, philanthropic world, like the Novo Foundation with uh, Peter and Jennifer Buffett. Do these uh, funders that are considered to be investors, so what is their rate of return for the funders? Certainly. So our entrepreneurs, we uh, look at uh, their activity over uh, the long term. So we look at the return on investment on the basis of the jobs they create, the businesses that they expand and strengthen, uh, and the taxes that they pay to the municipalities. So conservatively speaking, for every dollar that's donated to Rising Tide Capital, we look at a $3.80 return. And that's not looking at the full ripple effect of taxes and uh, jobs created, but rather just looking at increases in business revenue. So, for example, on average, when an entrepreneur comes to us and they're starting their businesses, we see uh, an increase of about 67% in their average business sales. We also look at their average household income, and we see a 49% increase in their average uh, household income. Uh, we see a reduction in the graduate use of uh, public assistance that's 48%. Uh, this is within two years of participating in our programs. Uh, a lot of our funders are looking at uh, the viability of these businesses over the long haul. So uh, we are excited to see that our business have, businesses have a survival rate of 87% on average when it's 57, 50% uh, in, in the U.S. generally. And so we're looking at uh, these indicators of impact over the long haul and looking at the jobs created, the businesses that are expanded and strengthened as a way of providing social impact return uh, on investment. Of the businesses that you're funding, how many make it for five years? On average, uh, 87% of our entrepreneurs make it beyond the five-year survival mark. And what's the direct and perhaps indirect job creation effect of these new businesses? So last year alone, our entrepreneurs created 344 new jobs. Uh, this is phenomenal because, as you know, the journey of an entrepreneur is not uh, straightforward. And we see many of our entrepreneurs who start up uh, in service-based businesses and they're bootstrapping their businesses. And uh, they have they go through the ups and downs. You know, they're uh, is a phase when they may be working with more consultants than they are with full-time paid employees. And as the business continues to grow over time, we see them moving towards full-time employees who are members of their team, helping them to build a company over time. And how do you support these entrepreneurs as they run their business? And for how long do you help them? 
We work with our entrepreneurs on average anywhere from three to five years. We have entrepreneurs who've been with us in some cases for as long as our entire existence over the 10 years. Their needs continue to change and shift as the economy changes and also as their businesses grow. So we have businesses that may have started bootstrapped from $5,000 in crowdfunding all the way to businesses that then go on to get microloans, which in the U.S. could go up to $50,000. And then we have businesses that have been able to get much further down the line and have raised private equity. We have a business who that recently closed around for $2.5 million to scale a uh, business. And so we, we see uh, their needs changing over time, and this is why we believe uh, that uh, the solutions around building infrastructure to support entrepreneurs all the way from the ground up needs to be very much uh, long-term uh, and needs to be able to pivot and uh, be customized enough to fit the needs of the entrepreneurs at different stages of growth. Alpha, you say that there can be more entrepreneurial energy in communities that are hardest hit by economic downturns. Entrepreneurs in these communities know where the pain points are. Are you thinking about New Jersey, or what other examples do you have? So as we've uh, begun our journey of partnering with other cities and organizations to extend our model, one of the things that uh, has been a critical lesson learned is places, inner city communities, uh, even small second tier cities that are often overlooked uh, for investment uh, and by philanthropy are really hotbeds of creativity, resilience, and innovation. Um, we find women uh, who have been uh, actually some of the fastest uh, growing sectors in uh, entrepreneurialism. Uh, they're starting businesses uh, at rates that are often uh, overlooked. And so we look at cities like uh, Chicago, where we just uh, expanded over four years ago. They're already working with 300 entrepreneurs a year in four cities uh, throughout uh, Chicagoland. Uh, and as we look across the country, we see many other communities. Uh, and New Jersey was our starting point, in part because it was the homeland of my co-founder, Alex Forrester. But it's also because it's one of the most wealthiest states in the union, uh, one of the most powerful economies in the globe. And yet it has cities like Newark and Trenton, Camden, Jersey City, where we started, uh, where the pockets of wealth, uh, this rising tide of opportunity in certain parts of uh, the state have not been shared uh, by other parts that are still struggling. And our philosophy has been that uh, you uh, have heard of the saying, a rising tide lifts all boats. And our thinking is that uh, it lifts boats. So people need to build boats. And we all, as investors, as social entrepreneurs, and as entrepreneurs need to help people build boats that can really rise uh, with the tide. Now, there's obviously a great need for immediate funding out there. Can you expand your programs really quickly enough to meet that need? 
Absolutely. Uh, and I say that with uh, confidence now, not because uh, the work has gotten easier or uh, funding is easier, but because the need is so great. Uh, Arthur, I believe uh, it is urgent that we do this work. And the only way we can expand uh, fast is through immense collaboration, uh, profound collaboration. And those opportunities, uh, collaboration tools, communication tools, are more accessible today than they were when we were starting 14 years ago. And so our platforms, which we've built really uh, to be the back-end infrastructure for local organizations and other social entrepreneurs who are looking to bring a proven model, the ability to measure their outcomes, because if they can measure it, they can manage it, they can uh, draw investors to it. Uh, being able to provide these tools, uh, the curriculum, the support networks is what we're about. And if we do that well, if we create this platform, which we, we have, and we believe it works because we've piloted it, we've tested it, we've seen what, what is possible, and now we're confident that with the right partners, uh, we can actually grow uh, much faster than we anticipated uh, when we started out 14 years ago. Is there anything that Congress or the government in general can do to help programs like yours and other such entrepreneurs succeed? Absolutely. I think one of the things that uh, is really promising uh, for uh, those in the public sector, for governments, those who are uh, looking at, you know, whether it's the Department of Labor or Small Business Administration or the Department of Education, is that we really need to turn our eye to the kind of Main Street entrepreneurialism, the kinds of small businesses that in this country employ uh, over 41 million people, just looking at those businesses that are uh, in the small towns uh, on the Main Streets and deploying all of our assets to support them in adjusting to the new economy, uh, to the frontiers of the digital economy that we're uh, um, coming up on is truly one of the biggest civic opportunities uh, we have uh, as a nation. And this is not, uh, I think government can play an important role to help um, create the kind of conditions uh, to remove certain barriers and really to enable uh, and encourage and incentivize uh, bigger companies and investors to invest in Main Street uh, as much as the other pockets of entrepreneurship uh, that are uh, currently prevalent. And so this is, uh, this is a huge opportunity. Some of the more rural communities we know have severe opioid problems. Can your model be used in any way to assist such communities in dealing with this terrible national curse? You know, uh, Arthur, you bring up a really uh, powerful example of uh, what can happen often in communities when uh, there is uh, diminished hope about the future. Uh, addiction, mental health, uh, many of these uh, symptoms, uh, many of these uh, issues are symptoms of a deeper problem. And I believe uh, the work that we're doing at Rising Tide Capital with our partners uh, around creating economic opportunity, uh, opportunity for participation, 
for people who uh, may not have felt welcome uh, at that uh, mainstream economic table or who haven't been able to find sources of employment, uh, who increasingly feel they're not part of uh, a a hopeful future, uh, this is a way of engaging them, engaging their creativity. And I think when you have that level of engagement and participation uh, through the whole of society approach, you actually can um, help tackle some of these big problems with addictions. We have to look at this as a mental health and uh, as a mental health challenge and creating a a holistic, uh, healthy economy is a big part of what will enable us to defeat uh, big, big challenges like this one. If rising tide is going to become uh, even more relative and responsive to the changes such as we've just been talking about. They're going to have to think differently about the current revolution. Uh, Are you prepared for that? And if so, what steps might you be taking? Um, Arthur, you make a really good point about uh, this brave new future. Uh, Some call it the fourth industrial revolution. And a big part of what we're seeing at Rising Tide Capital is the need to prepare entrepreneurs who are in sectors that are uh, vulnerable to uh, big shifts and disruption uh, to actually be part of the solution. Many of our entrepreneurs work in uh, human care services. They're starting businesses in education and healthcare, in food, uh, in the energy sector and sustainability. We see these local grounded entrepreneurs as being a big part of what's going to help us transition our economy into one that is uh, definitely a lot more uh, digitally advanced and technologically advanced, uh, but one that is also more sustainable and that will help ground us and keep us connected, recognizing what makes us well as as people, as communities, uh, which is uh, very much about um, recognizing our interdependence and still being able to continue to provide goods and services uh, that are very relevant uh, down the line. And so empowering local entrepreneurs with the business management know-how, encouraging investors from all levels to participate uh, in making the businesses of the future be human-centered, be accessible to people from all educational backgrounds and social backgrounds uh, is an important work. And we're taking this on at Rising Tide Capital uh, by uh, being very much uh, forward-looking and engaging our entrepreneurs and our entire community in a conversation. And we're having events about that, and uh, certainly those who are uh, near our area or even nationally uh, should uh, uh, tune in and follow us. What lessons have you learned about starting a business from your years of experience in helping others? One of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that business is truly all about relationships. And uh, when you're building a business uh, that is going to last over the long haul, trust is a very big and important part of that, uh, which means trust is never built overnight. 
uh, many entrepreneurs who start their businesses are looking for quick success. And a big part of what I've learned personally and what many of our entrepreneurs uh, on their journeys have learned is that this is a long haul um, um, uh, initiative that it, it takes a long time for your uh, investors and customers to really take uh, your commitment very seriously. And so my lessons learned is um, don't be discouraged if you're starting out and nobody takes you seriously for the first uh, three years. Um, and certainly as you encounter feedback from potential customers, from other partners, my encouragement is while you do have your sense of purpose and vision, it's always to continue to expand your vision to enable the visions of others to, to enter your, your perspective. And that truly will enable you to innovate, to continue to connect dots that you might not otherwise have. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's about staying with it and being bold uh, and continuing to uh, forge ahead uh, through the ups and downs of uh, growing a business. In 2004, with a Harvard classmate, Alex Forrester, she founded Rising Tide Capital, a New Jersey-based nonprofit with a nationally recognized community business academy, an intensive business training program for aspiring entrepreneurs. The World Economic Forum named her a young global leader and she's on a Forbes list of the most powerful women changing the world with philanthropy. Alpha Dimalash, thanks for joining us. And by the way, if any of you have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, please email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net. And follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. It's 25 minutes past the hour.